Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Race starter Tyler Glass now gives up four runs in the first inning, and the Astros never look back as they cruise to a 6-1 to victory in Game 5 of the ALDS, eliminating the Rays from the postseason. The Astros will go on to face the Yankees. The Lightning rebounded from a bad performance in Carolina on Sunday. They score seven goals, including Braden Point's return. He gets two in that one as they beat the Maple Leafs 7-3. to And the Bucks are in London now. They're getting set to take on the Panthers on Sunday. Rick Stroud is there, and he'll have a report from London. I'm Steve Ersnick, along with Rick Stroud, who, as I said, is in London, so he's not on the podcast today. But uh, we just got done watching the Rays finish a exciting season, an exciting playoff series, but uh, disappointing fashion. Tyler Glass now struggles early, uh, gave up in the first 10 pitches, gave up four hits, three runs, ends up giving up four runs in that first inning, and he tipped pitches. And we saw this early in the season, if you remember, back with Blake Snell. Um, when he came back from his first injury of dropping the stone or whatever it was on his toe in the bathroom, um, he had, he struggled through a couple performances, and they didn't fully admit it, but they went back and looked at tape, and, and he was tipping pitches. This one was obvious, though, and I, I can't take credit for it at the time. I was watching MLB Network after the game, and Dan Plesak broke it down, and you could see clear as day that when Tyler Glass now came set, if it was a fastball, he, he kind of holds the, he, he's got his hands in his glove and it's, it's in front of his chest. If it was a fastball, that glove was a lot higher than when it was a curveball or his breaking ball. And so just from the set, they knew what was happening. And, and you, if you've seen the replays of Glass now tipping pitches, you could see the players at, at, after each at bat, they're talking to each other. You saw the hitting coach doing it. They, they caught that early, maybe even before the game, not sure. Uh, but they came out swinging. I mean, and Dan Plesak on MLB Network, you know, showed some of the highlights and some of the curveballs they took in that first inning that they didn't swing on that were tremendous curveballs that any other hitter's going to take. But when you know it's a curveball coming, you know you can take it. And they did. Um, and, and Tyler Glass now admitted after the game, he said, look, I watched the video. It was clear as day. Uh, it was obvious I was tipping, but I'm not. That's not the reason I'm going to blame it. Because he also said he left a couple pitches out there, and they're good hitters, and, and they took advantage of it. And it's 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 a shame because how well how well this team played, and even in this game. So they're down four nothing after the first inning, and the bullpen is lights out until you got to Pagan in, in the eighth and ninth inning. The bullpen locked them down. At one point, they'd given up one hit in the middle six or seven innings. Um, and there was one walk in there, too, from Ryan Yarbrough. And as, as I talked about last time in the podcast, if you can get Garrett Cole out of the game early and stay close, you got a shot. Well, they didn't get Garrett Cole out of the game early. He pitched eight innings, only allows two hits, two walks, struck out ten. Uh, did give up a solo home run to Eric Sogard, who back in the lineup – Hadn't really played in a long time, and, and it's kind of like reminiscent of Yandy Diaz in the Oakland wildcard game where you kind of go, why is he starting? And he was leading off and had two home runs in that game. Well, Eric Sogard uh, in the lineup for the first time since he returned back from injury, and 
gets a, a home run in the first or the second inning act after the Astros had already scored four in the bottom of the first. So he got a run back right away. And I thought that was key. You know, so you gave up the four in the first inning and we could talk about two. Should Kevin Cash have pulled glass not earlier? And, and as I was watching the game, you know, it, it, it didn't seem like Glasnow had his stuff. Now, Glasnow said he felt really good and the pitches were pretty good. He left a couple out there. It turns out, and we know now because he admitted it, that he was tipping pitches. But I thought, you know, once Bregman got the two-run single and it was 3 nothing, I thought you needed to pull him then. You already had, you had Snell warming up at one point. He probably wasn't ready yet. As a starter, he probably needs more time. But Poche was warming too. I was surprised he kept him out there. He did get Alvarez to ground out. Then Gurriel had an RBI single. That gave him the fourth run. Um, then he got two strikeouts in a row, Correa and Reddick. And, and, and kudos to Glasnow, too. So you have a rough first inning. You give up four runs. And then you pitch another inning and two-thirds, and you shut them down. And, look, Glasnow's a young pitcher. He's still learning. This is you know his first full season in the bigs. Had a lot of injuries this year, so he's not back to where he wants to be as far as starting and, and going deep into games and that, but to give up four runs on that stage and then turn it around and figure it out and, and, and shut them down for another inning and two thirds. And yeah, you would have liked to seen them go further in the game. Uh, but at that point, you know, it was Johnny whole staff and, and, and Kevin cash was determined to use just about every pitcher. I think they used, what is it? Nine pitchers in the game. They have 12 on the roster. So they used nine of them in this game. And had it been closer, you probably would have seen all 12 in there, uh, including Charlie Morton, who was available. But down the four, you know, four nothing. Sogar gets that the, the home run, so it's four to one, and you're still in this game. And the bullpen, which look as much maligned as that bullpen was, particularly look early in the season, the bullpen was good, and about a month in, Alvarado and Castillo went south, and Alvarado never got back. And, and you sat there going, "Who's gonna Who's gonna step up in this bullpen? How are they gonna make this work?" Uh, you know, a lot of criticism, and from myself too, that they didn't do enough to address the bullpen in the off season. Uh, after they had let Sergio Romo go and, and others. By the time they get to the end of the season, they may have the best bullpen in baseball, or it's definitely top three or four. It may, you know, the Astros' A bullpen is probably better than the Rays' A bullpen, but I think the Rays' B bullpen is better than the, the, the Yankees' bullpen. So I, the Rays' bullpen was much better than the Astros' bullpen, and in the series it showed. They have Garrett Cole and just, uh, Justin Verlander, which was the difference in this series. But the Rays bullpen, how good has it been? And even in this game, they're down four to four to one. They shut them down and kept the, them in the game. Now the hitters could never get anything going against Garrett Cole, and and he may have even been better tonight than in game two, which you know you hoped wouldn't happen. And if it did, you were hoping the Rays could get more pitches out of him to get him out of the game early. And that's you know really where the game turned. Is if if they could have gotten Cole to to, to pitch more pitches and get him out in the sixth inning instead of the ninth. Or even the seventh, then you got a couple innings. You got a shot to to get some runs, and they just they just didn't do it. But disappointing. And and, and as much as we talked about the moments at Tropicana Field in games three and four, and it was you know they jumped on the lead early and then just built on that. Well, that's exactly what the Astros did in Game Five. Although to be honest, they got the lead early and then Garrett Cole just shut them down because the Astros hitters didn't do much after that until it got to the ninth inning. So, or the eighth inning, actually, they, they didn't have a ninth inning, got to their final inning. But what a season, what a, what a series. I mean, you go down 0-2 in Houston, Verlander and Cole take it right to you. 
you, you battle back, and, and late in those games, you get some runs, and, and you hope that gets some momentum. You come out in game three, and you win 10-3 to over the Astros. And, you know, you get you, Kevin Kiermeyer hits that three-run home run to give them the lead early in the game after they were down one nothing, and it was a party from there on in game three. You come back game four, and you take a commanding lead again, and you cruise. And and it was so exciting, those two games there. It's, it's disappointing we won't have more games at Tropicana Field this year against the Yankees, which I think would have been great. But it was a little disappointing you go to Houston, but still, and, and you know, all the players talked about it. I mean, you could hear from Kevin Kiermaier to Willie Adamas to Austin Meadows to Glass now. All disappointed, but all excited for next year. And what they've built on from not only this year, but last year. You know, when they were tanking and, and people thought they'd lose 100 games, they won 90 and didn't make the playoffs, unfortunately. This year they come back. And, and, and kudos to Garrett Cole. I don't know if you saw it on the post game on Fox. So um, they're interviewing him after the game, and he's talking about the game and his performance in this. And then he starts talking about the Rays. And you, you hear often players or coaches or managers will sit there and say, oh, the other team, they're really good. They have good players. You know, what a great job they did. What a great series. That's not what Garrett Cole said. He starts singling out from Kevin Cash to the injuries they've had, how they've battled to get 96 wins in the AL East. I don't know how they've done it. And, and they didn't give away at-bats and, and didn't give away a pitch in this series and how well their bullpen was locked down. And, and he was going through the whole lineup, you know, almost the whole lineup of, of everything the Rays did well this year and this series. And I, I thought that was a really classy move by Garrett Cole. I mean, like I said, a lot of times you hear players go, oh, you know, that other team, they're a really good team and hat, you know, tip of the cap to them, et cetera, et cetera. But Garrett Cole really, you know, I think the respect that nationally that people have for the Rays, we know their their plan and why they do what they do. From the opener to the way they use their pitching staff to matchups to creating the lineup and and why certain players go where and, and why everybody's so versatile that, you know, Yandy Diaz can play third and first and, and Brandon Lau can play second in the outfield and Joey Wendell can play just about anywhere. And, you know, all that versatility they have and, and do, we, we know why they do it. But outside of Tampa Bay, some of it's still considered a joke from the opener um, which you know, some of the hardcore baseball folks think is the the bane of all existence, and that it's ruining baseball. To just everything the Rays do is is it's almost viewed as a joke, and and Tropicana Field they they treat they treat Tropicana Field that way too, and, and we've talked about this before. Tropicana Field isn't the nicest ballpark in baseball, but it's it's a nice place to watch a game, and 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 the changes they've made in it in the last ten years. It's, you know, I, I wasn't here before, but I've been to a lot of ballparks that are worse than Tropicana Field. Most of them aren't still playing baseball today, but I can tell you a lot of ballparks that I've seen Major League Baseball in that, you know, from the Metrodome to some of those cookie cutter riverfront, three river stadium type stadiums to Pro Player Park in Miami to, you know, those were awful ballparks to play in. Tropicana is not. Yeah, there's some catwalks and stuff, but the Rays are, you know, to the casual national observer or fans is, you know, kind of thought of as a joke may not be the right word, but you know, Oh, it's just Tampa Bay. And I, I think you saw and and not that Houston didn't, but the fans and, and some of the national media and stuff really start to go, wow, this race team is really good. You know, their bullpen is locked down. You know, I saw several people when Diego Castillo was opening 
um, the other day that, you know, saying, if you don't know Diego Castillo, you better learn quick because his stuff is tremendous. And, you know, I think next year he's going to have every every opportunity to become the closer of this team. And I, I think that's probably where they want him to be long term is, you know, Amelia Pagan's done a great job this year, but I think you want someone with a little more thump back there that can just blow the ball by someone at the end of a game. And Pagan will still be a big part of this bullpen, but I think you'd rather have him as a seventh or eighth inning guy or a matchup guy in Diego Castillo or Jose Alvarado if he comes back and can get back to form. You know, pitchers like that is kind of what you're looking for in your closer role. But, And we'll talk a lot more next week about the race, too. I'm sure we'll get Mark Topkin on next week to kind of break down the season. And then the changes that are ahead for this team, too. There's a lot of interesting decisions they've got to make on the 40-man roster because there's some young players they're going to have to start putting on the 40-man roster or they they risk losing them to the Rule 5 draft. And so it's going to be interesting, the moves they make and, and how they build this team for next year. I mean, you know, everyone's pretty much under team control and under contracts. Um, not a lot of free agents or anything. I mean, some are arbitration eligible in that, so there'll be some increase in money for some of these guys. But they don't have to necessarily get rid of anybody, or they're not losing anybody to free agency either. I mean, Charlie Morton's got another year on his deal. Kevin Kiermaier, of course, is locked up for several years. They locked up Brendan Lau and Blake Snell before the season, so they have long-term contracts. And everybody else is pretty much young and under team control, whether they're in their you know first three-year deals or they're in their three arbitration year eligibles. I believe Tommy Pham's arbitration eligible. Avisail Garcia, I think, is the one free agent that – you may lose, and, and Travis Darno too. I guess those would be the two. Um, just thinking off the top of my head, that that are free agents at the end of this year. That it'll be interesting what they do with the catchers. Um, you know, do they try to keep Travis Darno and what that price is, and what does the rest of baseball think of him? Um, Zanino was very disappointing this year, particularly on the offensive end. Um, just never got anything really going offensively. Um, and, and I didn't think he had a great season defensively. I didn't think he was bad, but I, I was expecting more out of him even defensively. So it'll be interesting what they do with him and Michael Perez. Uh, but we'll, we'll get talked more about that with Mark Topkin. I'm sure next week we'll get him on the podcast. But what a fun, incredible season this Rays had. 96 games with all the injuries. I mean, I know everyone talks about the Yankees and all the injuries they lost, and they lost some big-time players to injuries. But if you look at what the Rays lost and had to deal with, and, and if you're into advanced analytics, the, amount, the, the war, the wins against replacement that the Rays lost for the season compared to the Yankees isn't even close. The Rays lost a lot more and, and still won 96 games, go 3-3 three and three in the playoffs. So they win 99 games for the season. They win the, the wild card. They had four elimination games in this playoff. They won three of them. They lost on Thursday, so the Astros 6-1. to one. But they win three elimination games along the way. Um, the bullpen, the way it morphed and evolved and grew throughout the season and, and ended up being a lockdown bullpen with guys like, so at the beginning of the year, who had Colin Poche, Oliver Drake, well, Nick Anderson was a trade, so you probably wouldn't think that, but even Emilio Pagan is your closer. Um, Diego Castillo, of course, is in that mix. Uh, Chaz Rowe struggled early in the season, and he turned it around the second half of the season. Uh, offensively. Travis Darno, I mean, came out of, you know, they trade for him because they have five catchers get hurt within a week's time or so, and so they need help, and they trade for him. Uh, Willie Adamas's progression this season. And granted, we forget sometimes because we've heard about Willie Adamas for so long. He was the key part of the David Price trade from 2014, and he was the key part. He was an A-ball, 18-year-old shortstop in A-ball, 
But that was the key piece that they had traded for and were waiting four or five years to get here. His first full season, he struggles a little bit, particularly offensively early, but even defensively, I thought he struggled early in the season. He would make the spectacular play and then have problems with the routine plays. But to see his growth throughout the year, and we talked about this the other night on the podcast, just how 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 much he grew and improved throughout the season. And you don't see that very often, particularly from a young guy. Um, they'll make adjustments, but to see that growth and improvement and and uh, you know, a lot of the players have talked about how hard Willie works and how how many ground balls he's out there taking and and and, and you know, he just wants to be better. And and I think he's one of the catalysts on this team emotionally too. From taking the helmet off guys when they hit home runs to, you know, just the energy he brings. Um, and I think to see his growth next year, um, Austin Meadows, his first full season in the big leagues, he's co-MVP of the team. He struggled in the playoffs. But, you know, what he did hitting-wise, Tommy Pham, you know, he's the heart and soul of the team. And, you know, I love what he brings. G-Man Choi, and, and wow, how quickly he's become a fan favorite. And, Quite frankly, halfway through the season, I wanted to get rid of him on the team, you know, and he look how much he turned it around. He was awful with runners in scoring position early in the season. He would only get a hit if there was nobody on and how he's improved and turned that around and and even became a fan favorite. Eric Sogard, uh, oh, I, I believe he's another free agent as well. So uh, they, of course, got him at the trade deadline. I'll uh, be interested if they want to try to keep him. Uh, Joey Wendell struggled offensively this season, but, you know, through a lot of the injuries in that. So. It'll be, it'll be really interesting, some of the decisions they make. Brendan Lau, of course, um, is locked up long-term at second base. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Avi Garcia, you, you may have to replace. You'll see what, what he does. But what a fun group of, of players to follow. What an exciting season. You know, there was a lot of questions going in the season. You know, 90 wins a year ago, but most people were still predicting – low to mid eighties, probably in wins, you know, they just, it was, I think they won 90 the year before and because you thought they were tanking and, and were so were supposed to be so bad that that was a fluke and, and maybe 90, they got there a little quicker than you thought they, than maybe even the front office thought they would. I, I bet you, if you really asked the front office, they probably didn't expect 90 wins in 2018. They were probably hoping for a 500 season that year and some things broke right and happened and they get to 90 wins, but then to take that roster and build upon it. And even some of the moves they made this year. Ryan Stanek, they trade, their opener. The guy who was their best opener and kind of perfected the strategy they created, they trade him to get Nick Anderson. And wow, he has been phenomenal for the race since they got him. Something like he's close to 100 batters faced, I believe now. Pitched an inning and two-thirds. And he's giving up. It's about half the batters have struck out, if not more, and one unintentional walk in that time. He has been exceptional in that bullpen. And he's a rookie. He's a 29-year-old rookie, but he's a rookie pitcher that they got. You know, so, and That is such an unsung trade. And they get Trevor Richards, too, and we'll see how he does. And granted, they gave up Jesus Sanchez, an outfielder, too, so we'll see how he develops. So you know, that trade's probably going to be a win-win for both sides. But wow, Nick Anderson 
you know, I don't know what this bullpen would be down the stretch without him. You know, as much as Emilio Pagan saved the bullpen in the middle part of the season, Nick Anderson really solidified it and gave it another big arm back there that could come in and, and really lock it down for you. So it's going to be exciting. It's very disappointing, you know, night. And, and I guess the disappointment for me is it, it wasn't quite the St. Louis Atlanta score where it was 10 runs in the first inning. But with Garrett Cole on the mound, you gave up that four in the first, and it just felt like this is going to be hard to come back. It's going to be really hard. And, and Eric Sogard hits the home run in the second, and you're thinking, okay, just keep building. You're chipping away. Get a, you know, a run in the fourth and a run in the sixth and get within a run or two by, the, by you know, late in the game and maybe and get Garrett Cole out of there and maybe you got a shot. Well, Garrett Cole went eight innings, and you didn't get any more runs the rest of the night. I mean, you, you finished the game with two hits. So um, disappointing, but and I, you know, the players, I'm sure, are, are sad. But you know, the future is very bright for this team. This is not a... If you thought last year was a fluke, then you realize you come back this year and you get 96 wins. It's not a fluke. Now, 96 wins and that is not guaranteed next year, but most of this team is going to be back. It'll be interesting to see what moves the front office makes, but most of the team's going to be back, and, and most of them are so young where they're, you know, Austin Meadows and Willie Domus are going to be in their second full season in the big leagues. So how much more experience can they grow on and, and things to work on in the offseason as they, they now – you know, are, are developing the bigs. Tyler Glass now, you know, hopefully he can stay healthy the whole season because there was no pitcher in baseball better than him at the start of the season. Of course, he gets hurt, and in, and, and it's disappointing that it turns out it looks like he was tipping his pitches, and it was clear as day when Dan Plesak on the MLB Network showed you where he was holding his glove. You knew exactly what pitch was coming, and, and good hitters, when they know what pitch is coming, it's a lot easier to hit the ball. So, And Houston's got a really good lineup, particularly at the top of the lineup that hit him hard in the first inning. So we'll have more next week. Uh, I'm sure Rick will give his thoughts, too, when he gets back from London. Uh, but we'll get Mark Topkin on next week. I know we're going to have Tom Jones on, who thought this team was going to be 500. Uh, so he's going to join us early next week, uh, and I'm sure he's going to eat some crow over that uh, because I, I know he went to uh, at least one of the playoffs games with his sons, and, and we talked about it uh, yesterday, actually, about you know how exciting it was in the whole team and just where this team has, has – what, what this team has done over the last two seasons – with the, the, the resources, particularly the payroll part, it's just been incredible. And it's been so much fun to watch. And I hope, I hope you've enjoyed it as much, too. I, you know, I know the 30-some thousand fans at each of the playoff games, you know, that Tropicana Field was rocking, and the television ratings and radio ratings are really good. So can't wait for next season to start. Hard to believe it's got to wait till you know, March. I think it's March 26th or 7th. It's a really early start time next year. So, uh, of course, spring training will start in, you know, a week or so after – the Super Bowl in early February, early to mid-February. So the Lightning tonight, they had a game. They rebounded. Of course, Steven Stamkos calling out the Hurricanes after the Sunday night game, Carolina, where they go two-plus periods, the last two periods in overtime with two shots, including no shots in the second period at all. And they, they were up 3-1 to one and lose that game 4-3 to three in overtime. Although pretty incredible, actually, to play that badly and still get a point out of the game. They go to, to uh, Toronto tonight after a few days off, and what a wild first period. So I've got, I've got in my office here, I've got two TVs. So I've got the one on the Rays and the one on the Lightning. So I'm watching both, and, and you know, the, the, it's seven goals in that first period get scored. And Braden Point makes his return, gets a goal two and a half minutes into the game. Um, it was a real difference maker on a line of Point, Stamkos, and Kucherov. And Mike Babcock, the Maple Leafs coach before the game, says – I don't know if there's enough pucks to go around. Well, there is. 
because Braden Point gets a couple goals. Nikita Kucherov, Steven Samkos both have four-point nights. Um, just uh, they didn't play a good first period, although they were up four to three at the end of the first period. Um, defensively didn't play very well. They played much better the second two periods as they're the defense and controlling the puck. And, and Steven Samkos specifically mentioned Braden Point's speed and what a difference maker that is. Now, he compared him to Connor McDavid. I don't think he's quite that fast. And John Cooper kind of said, well, let's not let's not go that far yet. But Braden Point's got speed and he can play with it and, and play with it under control and use it to his advantage. And it really made a difference tonight. And you saw the lightning offensively kind of break out and 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 play better defense the second two periods. So that's encouraging as they're still on this is game three of their two week road trip. Of course they came home for a couple days in between. But they're in Ottawa this Saturday. It's a four o'clock start Saturday. So a little earlier in the afternoon. So you can watch the lightning at four o'clock before you watch Florida LSU at nighttime in Death Valley on this weekend. So but a much better performance by the lightning. Braden Point is back, so that's always a good thing too. Uh, Andre Vasilevsky looked better the second two periods. He gave up a juicy rebound in the first, a, a puck he should catch that he didn't. Uh, they put in for a rebound that gave the, the Maple Leafs their third goal. But uh, the Lightning now at 2-1-1 one, and one on the season. And like I said, they go to Ottawa. Then next week they're in Montreal and Boston before coming home next Saturday against the Avalanche. Rick Stroud, the host of this podcast, of course, he's in London already as the Bucks are probably getting there uh, soon, depending on what time you're listening to this podcast. They're probably already there. They traveled overnight Thursday night into Friday morning um, so that they'll be in London, get a couple days uh, practice and walkthroughs there before they play Sunday afternoon in London. The game will be 930 start time here in the Eastern time zone of the United States. So it's a, another division game. Of course, the, the Bucks beat the Panthers in Carolina in week two. So Carolina, though, much different looking team as Kyle Allen's at quarterback for them now instead of Cam Newton, who's hurt. And Rick Stroud is in London with this report. The Bucks will play Carolina Sunday at London's Tottenham Stadium. Game time is 8.25 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. They will arrive sometime this morning. Folks, this is a long trip. Sure, it's much easier for them. They charter Virgin Atlantic Airlines with 45 first-class seats that fully recline, but it is an eight-hour and 25-minute flight or so. Then there's the transportation to the hotel. For me, it was a train followed by a cab, and they won't have that much trouble. But uh, a very fall-like 50-degree temperatures, maybe in the high 40s at night. But at some point, all this travel is going to come at, catch up to them for sure. I mean, they've got the bye week after this, but then it's followed by more road trips to Tennessee, which is up the road just a bit, and then finishing up at Seattle. So a lot of highway uh, still left for the Bucks. Now, they have some real injury concerns of course, a whole new right side of the offensive line will play in this game against Carolina. Alex Kappa has a broken left arm. He suffered that in the first half of the Saints game on Sunday, managed to fight through it and play the entire game. But he's going to miss a few weeks. He's going to be replaced by veteran Earl Watford, a guy that uh, was drafted by Bruce Arians, sort of a journeyman, uh, you know, center guard type. Uh, certainly not as good as Kappa, but a guy that's played a good amount of football. And then at right tackle, DeMar Dotson is most likely going to be out with hamstring and calf injuries. And, you know, that's uh, something that has eventually taken its toll. We've seen Dot fought, fight through those things just about every week. Josh Wells, who's a free agent from Jacksonville, is going to make the start there. He returned to practice on Thursday after a little paternity leave with his wife who was uh, expecting a child. So um, the Bucks have a, a big challenge in Carolina. Of course, they beat them earlier this season up there by 
stopping Christian McCaffrey by a half a yard. They've got some things they've got to clean up, though, and it was exposed in that Saints game. First and foremost, they need to find a way to get the ball to Mike Evans. Um, you know, in order to win, he has to be a big part of this offense. And, of course, on Sunday, that 31-24 to defeat to the Saints, you know, the best player on the team was held to without a catch for just the second time in his six-year NFL career. So, as Jameis Winston said on Thursday, bottom line, to win football games, we've got to get Mike Evans the ball. And that's really on the play caller. You know, Evans plays outside for the most part at that wide receiver spot. The guy that's been getting off, of course, every week is Chris Godwin because in this offense, the slot receiver um, is sort of a focal point. He has a two-way go. He gets a lot of man coverage. It's very difficult to double a guy inside. What they need to do is move Evans around and let him play in the slot some move Godwin outside just to get him going. So, you know, it's just been that kind of year for Evans. He has one 100-yard game, but he went off. He had 180 yards and three touchdowns against the Giants in a loss in Week 3. Uh, and then, of course, he followed that up in L.A. with four catches for 89 yards, but uh, 67 of those came just on, you know, one touchdown. So, I mean, this is a guy that's a, you know, 1,500-yard receiver every year, and he's struggling to get the football. That just can't happen. The Saints uh, really took Evans out of the game. Defensively, uh, the Bucks shut down quarterback Cam Newton. Of course, this will be different. Newton hadn't played since he suffered that Liz Frank injury. He didn't even make the trip to England, for example. And so Kyle Allen is going to be the starter again. He's 3-0 and and doing a nice job of distributing the ball around. Clearly, he's a good runner, but uh, probably more, more so than Cam, he's a, a more efficient thrower. Gets the ball out of his hands very quickly. Now, I mentioned they shut down McCaffrey the last time, but remember that stop on fourth and one. Now McCaffrey is uh, you know, back gaining all kinds of yards, rushing and receiving. There's a lot of statements about him winning the MVP, that sort of thing. So he's coming off a huge game. He's got a bit of a back injury, but he did return to practice on Thursday. So this is one where it's it's a big game for both teams, but the Bucks have not won two in a row, and as Bruce Arians said earlier this week, if you have any leadership, you won't lose two in a row. And so they need to try to keep pace uh, in the NFC South, now falling further behind the New Orleans Saints, of course, who are 4-1 and one and own a victory over the Bucs. So this will be a big one. And here's the thing about the Bucs in London. It's not a good history. Now, you know, granted, um, the two times they played was many, many years ago in 2009. And then again in 2011, that was under Raheem Morris. And when, you know, some pretty lean years back then. Give you an example of how long that was. Byron Leftwich began the season in 09 as the Bucks' starting quarterback, but he was injured by the time they got to England the first time. And Josh Freeman in that 2009 game made his NFL debut in sort of a mop up role at Wembley Stadium against the Patriots. Then two years later, they were playing the Chicago Bears. Now, this was after the Bucks had gone 10 and 6 under Freeman. They just missed the playoffs and they started 4 and 2 the next season with wins over Atlanta and New Orleans. So they were off to a really good start, had a lot to look forward to. But then they ran into the Bears, and it wasn't good. Uh, they fell behind. Freeman made a comeback attempt, but part of that was derailed by a keep to league poking a receiver in the eye, Roy Williams. He had drew a penalty that left two more minutes go off the clock. Um, you know, Tlaib that week was also sort of at the center of confrontations with Morris when he was met in the lobby. The team hotel, he broke curfew. A lot of guys stayed out late. Uh, instead of going for a few days as they had in 09, they went for the entire week in 2011, stayed at a big resort. All the players went out every night. It was kind of a disaster. And it sort of was a harbinger of things to come because after that, 
the Bucks wound up losing 10 games in a row. Uh, they started from 4-2, and two, went all the way to 4-12. and 12. Raheem Morris was fired. So, you know, it used to be that going overseas to play an NFL game at Wembley, or in this case Tottenham, was sort of a novelty. Now it's more of a nuisance. And I think that, you know, despite all the, the best of intentions, the, you know, athletic science and pro sports science and all this stuff they're doing, um, it's still a long way to go. And, uh, you know, it, it's interesting when you're over here, you see how the NFL fans sort of root for all teams. They'll, it, it has kind of a Super Bowl-like feeling to it in that every play draws a reaction of some kind. Um, they're not all either Bucks fans or Carolina fans. They're just NFL football fans. And, and oddly enough, the thing that excites them the most are the guys that kick the ball, right? Because this is, you know, football or soccer um, is the national sport over here in Europe, all of Europe. And they love to see guys kick. So Bradley Pinion will be beloved for his kickoffs and his towering punts. Rookie Matt Gay, who's a former soccer player himself, his wife Millie was born in England. Um, so he follows soccer very closely over here. His favorite team just happens to be the Tottenham Spurs. So he'll get a chance to play at their new stadium, which was really designed primarily with the NFL in mind. So, um, you know, this was uh, this has been a site of some some interesting things that have occurred um, you know, we all remember uh, those two two losses, and you know the year that uh, that Raheem Morris started was a disaster when they had to fire the offensive coordinator ten days into the season. Left, which was the quarterback, he couldn't hold it. Josh Johnson then became the quarterback after that. They started zero and six, and you know after Freeman came in, he didn't give the job back. He didn't do much over here his first time. Just two or four passes for sixteen yards. But then, of course, the next season went on to win ten games. For the Bucks, so Sunday provides another opportunity opportunity for the Bucks to get a win in London. Um, it's a long way to go to play a football game, but boy, it's a longer ride if you lose. So Bucks Carolina on Sunday. Make sure you set the alarm. They'll kick it off at nine twenty-five. I'll be here all week. You can check us out along with my buddy cop Eduardo Encina. A lot of fun things going on, of course, uh, over the weekend involving Bucks fan clubs and the like. Warren Sapp is here. Simeon Rice is here. I think Dexter Jackson's here. A lot of former Bucks uh, made this road trip as well as a bunch of sponsors and others. And so we'll be out and about in the town. And make sure you check out the social media there on TampaBay.com. For Steve Ersnick, this is Rick Stroud in London, England. We'll talk to you guys on Monday. So a busy weekend, of course, as the Bucks are in London getting ready to take on the Panthers. And then they'll have a bye week after that. So they'll have a little time off and, and kind of regroup. And at that point, they hope to get Jason Pierre-Paul back, who's been cleared to practice after the bye. The Lightning are in Ottawa on Saturday afternoon at 4 o'clock. So it's an earlier start. Don't forget that. USF hosting BYU at 3.30 at Raymond James Stadium. And Florida, of course, in Death Valley taking on LSU. That is the game of the week. College game days there in the morning. And then the game will be Saturday night. And, of course, Florida State, they're at the Death Valley of their own, at Clemson. Um, I expect Clemson to pretty much roll in that game. But for Rick Stroud, I'm Steve Verstick for Sports Day Tampa Bay. Have a great weekend, everybody. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.